0: Welcome to the Health Fix Podcast, where health junkies get their weekly fix of tips, tools, and techniques to have limitless energy, sharp minds, and fit physiques for life. Hey, health junkies. On this episode of the Health Fix Podcast, I'm interviewing Dr. Chris Bessent again. We are going to be talking in this episode all about your microbiome and your pet's microbiome and why they may be very similar. So if your dog's having some issues with like stinky gas and things of that nature or stinky breath, you might want to give yourself a little check and go, hmm, do we have a little crossover there? Now, the other big thing we're going to talk about in this podcast is all about dog food, dog treats, and the chemicals that are in both of those things, and why your dogs don't have salivary amylase. It only comes from their pancreas, and why you, unfortunately, as a loving pet owner, might be giving them foods that could be messing with their pancreas and causing them pancreatitis. None of the things we want to happen whatsoever, but a fascinating podcast because it's talking about, or we're talking about the overlap between microbiomes. So round two with Dr. Chris Besson, let's get on to that podcast. Hey, health junkies. I have veterinarian Dr. Chris on again today, and we're going to be talking about microbiomes because our last chat... We ran out of time. We were having so much fun. And today, I really want to talk about your microbiome and your pet's microbiome and how those two things kind of interact. So Dr. Chris, welcome again to the Health Fix podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
0: So last time we talked all kinds of things about pets and immune systems and things of that nature, but really the microbiome was something that I'm, I'm asked a lot about it. And I know a lot of people love to let their pets lick their plates, share their food, you know, use their utensils sometimes. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I've seen it all. And so I always wondered what, you know, does this have a connection and how does that play out for the pets and for us humans on both sides of the fence?
1: Yeah, I would say that um, a dog's microbiome is a little different than human's in that um, dogs are carnivores, scavenger carnivores, where humans are omnivores. And so the microbiome or the bacteria in the gut is just a little different. But there is um, a recent study that came out that really showed that when um, humans cohabitate with dogs, that they tend to develop almost a symbiosis of their microbiomes. So that the microbiome of the dog very much reflects the microbiome of the person. So it, it just made me laugh when you said about sharing utensils and licking out the bowl and 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 I'm guilty, I, I, I do the same, my dogs love it. And it's I've always been saying that dogs should eat healthy, wonderful food. And if I'm eating healthy, great food, I should be giving some to my pet. And it didn't even strike, strike me until you said it about licking the bowls. I mean, obviously you're washing them afterwards, but bacteria are microscopic and, you know, we're petting the dogs and we're putting our bacteria on them and they're putting their bacteria on on us. And it really is just, I think it's so fascinating how diverse it is and how much we've learned over the last even just two years. I mean, the research on the microbiome, both in people and in animals has just been, it's probably one of the most researched um, topics in the last two years is the microbiome. I, it seems like we're of similar age. And so <laughs> and as a naturopath, I'm sure you've always you've always talked about leaky gut. You've always talked about the microbiome, but I literally remember being in vet school or just recently graduated and, and really kind of the microbiome just always made sense to me. I literally remember a professor saying, Oh, that's just, that's ridiculous. That doesn't, that has no effect whatsoever. And here we are now 35 years later with a huge amount of research that describes how the microbiome is a vital part of our health as well as our pet's health. So it really has come like, you know, we've talked leaky gut for so many years and now we're really getting the science behind it. And, and I'm sure in the next 10 years, we will advance tremendously in, in just, understanding how important the microbiome is.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people now, because there's so much more research and there's so much interest now, people are starting to connect the dots a little and wonder like, if I get sick, does can my pet get sick or could they transfer things back to me? And I think it's, it's fascinating to kind of think about, you know, even if you're working on improving your health, could you improve the health of your pet? while you're working on your my- microbiome. There's so many interesting things. What have you yeah. found to, to be the case? Say that again. What have you found to be the case in terms of if you're sick and and say, and I don't mean sick like a virus, a bug. I'm more like saying a lot of people are noticing, oh my gut microbiome might be off. I've got bloating. I've got a little bit of gas. Maybe I have IBS. I don't know what's going on. Could that also be reflected in your pet? and and transfers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that it's so, it's so massive and so diverse. And the way that we think about it right now is so crude. You know, like we think salmonella, E. coli, we think of that. We're not talking about, about the distribution of good and bad. We're not talking about the metabolites that are released from the good bacteria, metabolites that are released from the bad bacteria. We haven't even really gotten into the scope of that. So to really understand how blended we are of our microbiome to our to our children's or our husband or our pets, And how that all interconnects, I think is gonna be such exciting stuff in the future. What I can tell you in this light of thinking crudely about things is, is the incidence of GI issues, dysbiosis in dogs is as rampant as it is in people. Mm -hmm. And the, the gut, Almost always, so we were laughing before um we went on air, and we were talking about this curate the Bull. and Curate the Bull is this really neat quiz that we do at herb Smith where um pet parents can can go on and tell me all about Brian, their dog. <laughs> and then I can make recommendations looking at it from a, a holistic viewpoint. So it might be products that these these are products I would recommend. But I might also recommend you need to see an acupuncturist or you need to see a chiropractor or are you sure your vets checked for ear mites? And, you know, just kind of helping to point people in the right direction. The incidence of dysbiosis and GI issues on those forms are crazy. So right now we've been doing it for, I think, about a a year and I think I've um, gone through about 7,000, maybe 8,000 different curate the bowl quizzes. And I would say that probably 70% have some GI upset described. And it might be their primary issue like IBD in dogs or chronic diarrhea or chronic vomiting in cats. Or it might be a secondary thing. But what what was so striking to me is that So many dogs, such a huge percentage of our population of dogs have some gut GI upset, and it's going to reflect exactly the same as it does in people. So um, gurgly guts, on and off soft stool, um, not wanting to eat, not having great appetites. um, Vomiting can absolutely be a part of it, but stool is, is a really big part of it. Um, and and so I would say it's, it usually is not as extreme as the dog is a carrier of salmonella or E. coli. It's more subtle and it's more like the subtle signs that we see in people. I mean, the, you could have dysbiosis and you're still going to work every day. You're still, you know, having Easter with your family, but you're having this GI discomfort that goes along with it if you eat just the wrong things and and it, i know we talked a lot the last time about how dogs are the canary in the coal mine right, right. and that dogs right. are this kind of reflection of what's going on in people and i would say what happens in their microbiome is exactly the same thing so we see humans not that not that your followers would eat poorly but I mean, uh, the eatles of the world, Doritos, Cheetos have become like a food group, (laughs) you know, like in, in your grocery store, it's like a whole aisle now. And, and we see the exact same thing in animals. So, so dogs are scavenger carnivores, but they get fed really high carbohydrate diets that they shouldn't be fed. And They can adapt to it so they can up upregulate their amylase production, but it's always kind of teetering on the edge. That's why they get pancreatitis so often. So, because they're being fed such high carbohydrate diets, they're also get getting residual glyphosate in their diets as well. So, what is the to me, what's one of the worst things for microbiome is glyphosate. So what we're eating mirrors what a dog is eating and they're getting the same glyphosate load that we're getting if not more because when you're feeding a high carbohydrate diet to your dogs you're not feeding high quality it's not organic grains that are being used it's the byproducts that are left over after human production that then go into the kibble that's produced for animals
0: Ugh. That's so sad. That is so sad. And I'm, I'm glad you're saying that again, because it is something that I want folks to really hear. But also at the same time, you know, when we eat excessive carbs, we're going to get more glyphosate too. Now, for folks to understand like what glyphosate does to the microbiome, would, would it be safe to say for dogs, same kind like humans, it, it prevents the beneficial bacteria from living, it creates more leaky gut, things of that nature? Yep, absolutely.
1: In fact, um some of the research that's done uh, that kind of prove that it breaks the junctions between the enterocytes were done on dogs. Uh-huh. So dogs are so close to humans that oftentimes they're kind of the next step up from mice. So mm-hmm. first they're first they're researching in in vivo in vitro so they're looking at cells in a in a petri dish and then they start looking at how it affects mice, and then they take it, how does it affect dogs, and then transpose that into how does that affect people. But yeah, all the same effects that glyphosate has on people, it has on dogs as well. So not only damaging the microbiome, but also breaking the junction between the cells of the intestine which now allows more stuff to enter, more bacteria to enter within the dog's body and puts them in a
0: a state of stress. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which, you know, I, I, I have to look back and see, okay, what do we have as like the, if we think in our mind, what's the quintessential like dog treat? I think of milk bone, right? And I'm going, okay, how much carb is in a milk bone how much is in these these traditional snacks that dogs we've been you know I would not want to say the word brainwash per se but that's probably what it is marketed to that these are good snacks for dogs so let's talk a little bit about what's not a good snack for a dog and what are like optimal options whether they're cooked whether they're homemade or whether someone could find them in the store what would be the best options you
1: know, I would say that it's it's realizing that they're sca- scavenger carnivores, okay. and that as a carnivore, they should be eating more meat. So the the food pyramid of a person is is lots of grains and then veggies and fruits. The food pyramid for a dog should be the opposite. It should be lots of um, meats and organs and then smaller amounts of veggies and fruits, and And grains to a minimum. So a milk bone to me, I just cringed when you said it. I was like, oh, dogs love them because who isn't a carboholic? You know, I mean, sugar is yummy. That's been well proven by everybody in the world. Mm -hmm. So dogs love the crunch of a milk thistle because it's like breaking through a bone. It's like crunching on a bone. And they can upregulate their amylase so they can tolerate a milk bone. But but that to me is like giving your kid a Snickers bar. Mm-hmm. So if you think of a milk bone like a Snickers bar, then you would be like, okay, yeah, that's probably fine as a, as a real treat here and there, like once a year, <laughs> but not like every day, But a really healthy treat would be like a freeze-dried piece of organ meat or um, uh, a piece of broccoli or uh, a steamed carrot would be fabulous. That's a great treat for a dog. But um, beef liver and chicken liver and chicken hearts are great choices. There's now freeze-dried chicken necks and freeze-dried duck necks. And the beauty of that is they have to chew, 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 and they get the beautiful bone marrow from the, from the bones of the neck and they get all the collagen from all the sinews and they get the glucosamine and the hyaluronic acid from the joint fluid. So they're getting really good, healthy treats. So those are better choices. The other choice that I think is really great for dogs is um, berries. So, um, antioxidants are just as important as in pets as they are in humans. but they, like AFco, which is the main organization that regulates um, pet food, doesn't even acknowledge that pets need antioxidants at all. Like oh, it's wow. not even considered. So when you see a bag of dog food and it has it says blueberry, well, it might be a blueberry flavoring. Or it might be one blueberry in a 50-pound bag, not enough that has been heavily heat treated. So dogs, dogs don't get the antioxidants they need and therefore have all this oxidative stress. And I'm assuming it's the same in people, I'm sure it is, that as you age, your own endogenous production of antioxidants goes down. So it's even more important that you have a dietary source of antioxidants. And the same thing holds true for our pets. So as that dachshund is now getting to be 10, 11, 12, it's really important that they get some healthy, fresh organic blueberries or raspberries or getting a source of antioxidants from their food. And because their food pyramid is different, And and the majority of their um, food should be meat. So meat and organs. It's important that the fruits or vegetables that they get are as nutrient-packed as possible. So that's why I'm such a lover of, of blueberries and raspberries and strawberries and just berries just in general, as long as they're clean, of course. But berries just in general to be able to
0: add antioxidants to their diet. So use those as treats. Ooh, I know my guy Brian will love that because he he is always all over me when I have strawberries or, or <laughs> in particular and he you know it's fun because they're like perfect size to just throw in place and play catch too with yeah. them no those are perfect yeah I, I always you know I kind of I had a little insider knowledge on the, on the milk bone side of things, but it is something that, you know, you go to, you go to the bank and the bank's like, Hey, can we give your dog this like brightly colored, strange milk bone? And you're like,
1: (laughs) no, thank you.
0: You You know, and, and that's the other thing that I think a lot of people probably run up against is if they take the dog with them, the dog already knows what's going to (laughs) happen. So what we did is we have a whole package of, of our, our treats in the, my dog loves the freeze dried lung. And so I have that in my console of the car. And so I will not tell the person no, but I will give it. He thinks (laughs) switch it out. Brian has been fooled for, for years now on that one. Hopefully he's not listening. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's he's outside. He's having fun. So tell us a little bit about you know with pets. Well, let's go back with humans. We have all this testing. We can we can do stool testing to see what our whole microbiome is about. We can do organic acid testing to see what metabolites we have. Do those things exist for dogs yet? Is there anything like that?
1: Do yeah. There's um, a number of companies that do microbiome testing on dogs. And they'll, um, you'll send some stool sample in just like you would for a person, and they'll give you a whole uh, wonderful profile of the good bacteria, the bad bacteria, what their distribution is within the gut. So yeah, that that te- but that testing is very few and far between. It is not hit the mainstream, so it's not something an average vet would recommend um, an average vet. So when you go to the vet in the spring or once a year for your dog's checkup and you bring a stool sample, they're not checking for microbiome. They're checking for parasites. So for roundworms or tapeworms, they're looking for big parasites. And that kind of goes to the whole crude part of it is that, you know, we, we can talk about salmonella and E. coli, and we can talk about roundworms and tapeworms and, And really big, obvious badnesses, Um, but your regular vets probably not, definitely not going to be sending that out for a good microbiome screen. So that's really kind of up to the pet parent to be able to do it. But, you know, with the internet and Instagram and Facebook, you can find these people all over the place. And then they do a really neat thing. And I'm not sure if you do this for people or not, because I haven't heard of it but it's a a fecal microbiome transfer. Mm, mm -hmm. They take healthy dogs and that have a really good balanced microbiome who are being fed well, young, vibrant, healthy dogs. And then they'll take that stool sample and then match it to um, the person that, or the dog that they just evaluated and then send them capsules of essentially freeze-dried poop cells that are, that has the bacteria in it. And then every day that you're giving your dog that capsule, you're re-inoculating their gut with good bacteria. And that has been really, um, in some dogs, it's crazy impressive. Meaning that that a lifelong of IBD, a lifelong um, history of dysbiosis, and by re-inoculating their gut with the flora from another dog, is enough to just completely change their flora and really uh, kind of jumpstart a good microbiome. And then some dogs, it doesn't do anything at all. So it kind of is is like most things in natural medicine. If you really need it, it's amazing. And if it's not something that you really need, not not quite so amazing
0: put that in a great perspective I think a lot of people wonder like oh is my body is there something wrong with my body and it didn't work because of me and it's like no just not the right thing I haven't found the right thing yeah. and yes fecal transplants are a thing for fe- for oh. adults um adults humans and in that case <laughs> it's usually because it, to get insurance to cover it has to be a Clostridium difficile oh. I've said C diff. Chronic um thing. Otherwise, it's not just widely available where it sounds like dogs don't have to meet a criteria to be able to get this. Nope,
1: not at all. I mean, it literally it's it's big business now. It's there's a number of companies out there that they do the testing and then they and then they essentially prescribe the right capsules for that dog to rebalance their microbiome. You know, you and I know that it's it's more in depth than that, Uh, because there's still, if you're still, you could have these um, FMTs, you could have these fecal microbiotic um, transplants, but then you're still eating the same glyphosate every day. It just gets damaged. So, so there's still, there's so much more to it, but at least it's kind of a step in the right direction.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like there needs to be a whole program. If someone's going to have that for their dog, they need to be switching off the regular conventional food. There's, you know, kind of like what we do with humans. If you're going to do something like that and spend the money on it, cause I'm sure it's not cheap. Um, yeah. that's it's where to go. Now, another question that I've had, and I know other people have asked as well, food allergy testing for dogs. Is it a thing? Is it legit? And, and what do you think about it? it's kind of my Thought process? I
1: would say it's a tool. Mm -hmm. So it it is um, readily available and it's usually by um, blood. So you're, you have a blood sample done and then you're sending that serum off to be tested. And then they'll, you'll come back and have the analysis that they're allergic to X, Y, and Z. And then you really need to do a food trial to see it. Um, and I to me, the way I think of it is it's still pretty crude. Yeah. So if it's a, if they say I'm allergic to beef, are you allergic to to beef that is harvested from a cow that was raised in a feedlot? So that cow was fed a heavily grain diet and was under horrendous stress. And then the meat that your animal is eating is now is filled with adrenaline, filled with endorphins, filled with how many other bad things in that meat. So is it is it truly the beef or is it something about that stressed beef? So I always say to my clients, okay, great, that's a tool that we kind of gets us in a ballpark. So now let's take that tool and do some trials with it. So, let's get them on a non-beef diet. Let's say it's beef. Get okay. them on a non-beef diet and see how they do. Okay, they're doing better. Great. So we could either decide I'm never going to feed beef again, or we could decide let's try some whole, you know some grass-fed beef in a low-stress environment. <clears throat> let's let's use some beef that was raised on a farm where it's you know one of 50 cattle on the farm and so they're happily eating grass out in a in their pastures and and then when they're slaughtered it's quick and they're not stressed by it they're slaughtered there on the farm. Let's try that beef and see how they do how they do with it. If they do well with that then you can kind of take it, it down the next step. You know, okay well is it just grass-fed beef or was it that it was low stress? And then that gets a hole into biogenic amines. I don't know if people have really gotten into that very much, but for pets that when the FDA, let's say the FDA says beef is fine. Okay. But beef could be anything from 40 meat, dead down disease, dying, a carcass, that has been sitting in a farmyard for three days before it goes to the rendering plant to be ground up and then cooked and cooked and cooked and made into beef meal so when it says beef on the label it could be anything from wholesome healthy grass-fed beef from a cow that was happy in its pasture (laughs) to feedlot to dead down diseased and dying to heavily rendered product all of that is equal in pet food Um, where biogenic amines could come in is if you test your food for biogenic amines you can test and biogenic amines are like cadaversin and putresin they're they're chemicals that happen in meat when meat spoils and even if you um, subject that meat to high temperatures; it doesn't get rid of those ingredients or those basic chemicals. Those basic chemicals stay. So, if you test for biogenic amines and it is high, and it's crazy how much is allowed. It's allowed fifty, 50 on a biogenic amine in, index is is the beginning of what's considered spoiled meat. But healthy, vibrant food that most humans would eat is like less than one. Wow. And, and, but all the way up to 50 would still be considered okay for pets. So is it, and histamine is another one of the, these biogenic amines. So is it that that dog was truly allergic to beef or was it being fed a heavily rendered beef meal? That's really high in putrescin and cardavacins and histamine. And that's what they're having the reaction to. And so that just kind of brings up li- like this whole other more in-depth thought process into what we're feeding to our pets. So when they say they have a food allergy, <laughs> to get back to the original question, when they say they have a food allergy, to me, that's just the start. That's just the beginning. And then and then we need to kind of move
0: deeper and deeper to find out really what's going on with them. Oh, man. I, I've thought about that for humans too. And and the food sensitivity testing isn't my number one go-to because I feel like it ends up looking, we have to go deeper anyway. And and what you just brought up, I mean, it's just disgusting. It makes me so sad. It makes me so sad. And and also has me kind of on this thought of going like, okay, if that's what's acceptable for the the meats and and, and say a dog doesn't want to eat it, maybe there's a reason your dog doesn't like their food is kind of what I'm thinking. Yep. Because their sense of smell is like
1: 10,000 times our scent. So if we smell something, we might not smell it, but if a dog smells it, I mean, they have like this, if you were to look at the superhero qualities (laughs) for a dog, it's their nose that dogs see the world through scent and so if they're smelling it and it and it smells bad, we would not even know because ours is not nearly as sensitive as a dog's sense of smell. And I would qualify that with, for your for your viewers, if it says meat meal, so M E A L, on the ingredient deck. So let's say it says beef meal. That means it's a heavily rendered product. So where you could have dead down disease dying. You could have all of that. It could just be a carcass. You could have all of that going into the meat meal. Wow. If it just says beef without the meal afterwards, it still is a really wide range because 4D meat. So meat dead down and disease and dying is still considered totally acceptable in the pet food industry. And and how do you know that you, you you don't, it's hard to, it's hard to know. I think the best is, does your dog love it? Does, do they look good eating it? Have other pets done well eating it and then trusting the company and how much transparency they have? Yeah.
0: Which is such a hard thing because I think a lot of us have, and, and, you know, when I first ended up having pets in my early twenties, I didn't know any better. You know, I'm going off of what I see on TV. 100%. You yes. know? And, yep. and, and it came when I ended it, when I was going through naturopath school, part of what paid for my school was I worked for a vendor for dog food, which interesting turn of <laughs> things. But I was <laughs> working for ones that, that were at that time. Now I don't think I would even trust their products. But at that time, they were trying to change the... The thought process and kind of trying to get away from kibble, things of that nature, and that's where I started to learn a little bit. But I feel like not the average person is just seeing what's put out over and over again in in the media. Then we have famous people who have their dog food lines that, Yeesh. right? It's just a licensure, and
1: yeah, and, and and I think the other hard part for the consumer is when you look at a bag of pet food, and it has a beautiful piece of chicken breast on it, you think that's in that bag, right? I mean, we, there's no way the FDA would let us be deceived like that. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is, if there is the DNA of chicken in that bag, they can put that beautiful picture on. If there's the DNA, if one blueberry was put into that 50 pound bag, they can have blueberries all over the package. That's the problem. Is that I literally have, knowing what I know, walk down the aisle of my local grocery store and look and go through the dog food aisle. And I, when I look at them, I think that's not really that bad. Even I think that's not really that bad. And then I read read the ingredient deck, and I'm like, yeah, this is terrible. <laughs> but the average pet owners they don't want to. They don't want to have to study pet food, right? Most people just want their animal to be happy and healthy and, and, and vibrant. The nice thing is there's now some really great um, websites out there. And one of my favorite, and I think that you would like it and your viewers would like it as well is Susan Thixton and it's T-H-I-X-T-O-N. Okay. She produces a list of pet foods that she's qualified so what she does is she literally comes to the manufacturer and says, well, if if we if you apply to her to be on her list, she will require certificate of analysis of your ingredients. She'll require batch records. She'll require you to attest to different things. She will make sure that it's the quality of food that a human would eat, not what what I was talking before, it gets called feed grade. So if you go to Susan Thixton and it's called Truth About Pet Food, okay. she is amazing. And she does all the research and literally we have to provide her documentation. So she keeps manufacturers honest. And you're not going to see Purina or Neutro on that list. You're going to find on that list is people who are really doing it right and are really providing really good quality food. And that, therefore, you don't have to
0: become the, <laughs> the dog, the pet food guru. <laughs> I mean, it's incredibly helpful because, I mean, a lot of people just, you know, even in, in my practice are like, just tell me, tell me what to buy. Tell me what brands Gosh. to listen. And, and I think yeah. you know, for pets, I think that's where it comes down to, because you know i've i've read the forever dog i've looked at okay raw food i've went down the different forums and the facebook groups and and like we talked about our first podcast it's like oh my gosh i don't have time you know even to like meal prep myself plus my dog plus everything what can i do you know to get the closest to it so this is a great resource of course i'm guessing you know a lot about her because your dog food products are correct yeah
1: we've um ours we have the simple food project and the simple food project and now medicas veterinary diets have been on susan's list from the very beginning and and just because i i so appreciate that because you know i can say it to let blue in my face that that we're different but until biogenic amines we didn't really have a way a quantitative test to be able to say the difference, and and now we do. So I'm hoping that that could be a bigger part of pet food in the future, and that consumers will start asking for it. At this point, I'm probably the only person, the only veterinarian in the world talking about it, um, because it's gonna it's gonna blow the wa- blow a lot of a lot of really poor quality ingredients out of the water and actually give pet parents numbers that they can discern on the quality of the meats but until then susan thixton's fabulous okay the other thing that i really wanted to cover today and i know that you have probably more questions but how yeah. important the microbiome is to everything else in a pet's body mm-hmm. so how important the microbiome is for the immune system that is a that's a given but also how important it is for mental health so the uh, epidemic of anxiety and mental health issues that we see in people absolutely is mirrored in dogs as well. So anxiety is a huge issue for pets. And I think a big part of it is their microbiome. So serotonin, what, 90% of serotonin is is produced within the gut. Exact same thing happens in pets that that do in people. And now the research where they're talking about how there's the Um, The gut kidney access, amazing. And the gut skin access and the gut um, oral microbiome access. I mean, just every every, every part of a pet, the microbiome affects in some way. And it's, again, we're still in the infancy of really understanding it. Um, But I can't tell you how much more, I personally recommend um, either the the uh, FmTs, the transplants or the testing, or just going on a just a general good across the board probiotic, how increasing fiber matters so much. So so it, it's amazing to me how, how much I recommend. Um, assistance for the microbiome for everything from liver disease, to kidney disease, to um, chronic skin allergies, and um, hot spots in dogs, to terrible bad breath and excessive tartar that happens in the mouth of a dog. Because again, if you go to the 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 mouth, oh my gosh, dogs don't have salivary amylase like people do. Cats have none. So they're pure obligate carnivores. They have no salivary amylase. Dogs have a small amount of it, but they can't really upregulate their salivary amylase. They can upregulate their pancreatic release of amylase. (laughs) And so so dogs that are eating a high carbohydrate diet, when they chew on that milk bone, Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. what you're doing is you're feeding the bad bacteria within that dog's mouth. Oh, wow. And- And when you're feeding the bad bacteria within that dog's mouth, you're getting that foul smell. You're getting that development of of the the, uh, biofilm and the tartar that's being laid down because they can't digest the sugar that they're eating that's sitting in their mouth. So part of like for me, for dental health is trying to help correct the microbiome of their
0: mouth. That makes sense. That makes sense. Oh my goodness. You know, I mean, same transfer to humans, right? We have to think about how even our oral microbiome has an impact. And and with the dogs, I didn't realize that the salivary amylase is only coming from the pancreas. So that kind of connects back why the pancreatitis is such a thing. Um, Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Isn't it amazing? I think that pancreatitis is such an issue for dogs because they're always teetering on the edge. edge of being able to tolerate high carbohydrate diets. And so, cause, cause people are like, oh, they're domesticated and they've been eating like humans for all these years and their um, genome has, has changed accordingly. I'm like, uh, I don't think so. I think that they have certain protective mechanisms in their body that allow them to be able to survive through what I would consider nutritional abuse, that they can upregulate their amylase. But the pancreas is always teetering on the edge of being able to
0: just like, what's the straw that broke the camel's back? Right, right. You know, it's so common. I mean, I, I just had a friend the other day tell me how they had to take their dog in pancreatitis. And, and this is when I was like, okay, you've got to listen to my recording. Um, <laughs> Chris. Because these are, these are the things that are like real deal factors. And nevertheless, um, you know, there's something that I, you know, a lot of people aren't really thinking about. They're giving the dogs. And I know we talked about it last time, the little greenies and things of that nature to work on. Um, and, and it's like, no, no, we need to go back to basics and work on the microbiome. So, at this point, because I I know that when I put in for Brian, I was talking about his gut bugs and I was, I was we had talked about, you know, not we had talked about, but you had messaged me about, yes, the milk thistle for sure to help with glyphosate and then probiotics were on there. And I think for a lot of folks, one of the big factors, even as humans trying to figure out what probiotics are good, I know that there's got to be good ones for dogs what What do you recommend for folks? I know you have your own company, I'd love for you to kind of share what you guys have and kind of go from there too? Yeah,
1: you know, I would say certainly the state of the art would be to have the stool tested mm-hmm. and see what distribution of bacteria they already have in their gut and good to bad and of the good, which ones are there. um, and then choosing, um, probiotics accordingly or having the um, the fecal transplant accordingly, but that changes too. So I, I kind of feel like probiotics should be a diversity and that, and let's let the body figure it out and let's provide um, not only lactobacillus and bacillus species and saccharomyces, let's, pro- let's, let's provide a whole bunch of different, Probiotics. So maybe it's mine that I'm using one month. Maybe the next month you do a kimchi Mm. or a kombucha or something else. And I would say that part of the microbiome work for animals is all sorts of really cool fermented um, products. So there's fermented goat's milk and there's fermented kimchi for dogs and there's all sorts of even becoming more and more fermented products that are available for dogs that add yet one more way to continually inoculate the gut. And, and I think that's a, when we think of things, we think like you're sick and we're going to make it better. (laughs) And in the microbiome, it's really not like that, right? It's a, it's a constant, it's a constant support that you need for the microbiome. It's, If if you eat poorly for a weekend, it doesn't blow you out of the water, but if you eat poorly for a year, it does. And so if you eat poorly for the weekend and then you um, have yogurt and some fermented kimchi over the week and you take some um, probiotic supplements, you're gonna rebalance that again. You increase the fiber in your diet. You get back to a healthy diet again. I think that that is kind of the best way, um, you know, dogs eat dirt all the time, right? And people are like, Oh my God, he's eating dirt. I'm like, so that's okay. <laughs> to me, it, if it's excessive, I'm not, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, if it's excessive and they're eating rocks and then, and puppies do that, and then they block their intestine. That's a whole different deal. But if they get dirt on their paws and they lick their paws off, that's okay. That's like inoculating their gut with, with good bacteria. You could have bad bacteria, but you could also have good bacteria in it. When they eat fruits and vegetables, they're not sterilized fruits and vegetables. If you're pulling a carrot from your garden and <laughs> it still has a little bit of dirt on it and your dog eats it, great. That's a, you know another way of this just constantly supporting
0: the microbiome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that people forget is it's not like, oh, I'm going to take this probiotic and get rid of the diarrhea in myself or the dog. It's, it's an ongoing process to nurture and and take care of that microbiome. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: So. There's been some really cool research where they, they looked at dogs that were being fed a heavily processed kibble diet, and then other dogs that were being fed a raw diet And the dogs that were fed a raw diet not only had good microbiomes, but they had a huge diversity of the microbiome. So they had, you know, thousands of different um, species and subspecies of, of bacteria within their gut. And that goes to the idea of living food versus dead food. And so heavily processed dead food versus healthy, vibrant food that has some good bacteria on it as well and and I wouldn't again throw out the baby with the bathwater if if a, if a food is is has to be packaged and has to ship from say our plant to a warehouse then finally to a store then finally to a pet parent and then sits in your cupboard for 3 weeks and then is fed to your dog yeah you can't have bacteria in that food because it is going to replicate within that food but if they're eating fresh berries or fresh fruits or vegetables, or if you went to your butcher and got freshly butchered organ meat, wow, that's a that's a great choice.
0: Yeah. Oh man. I I love chatting with you because I always learn so much, and I know that a lot of folks are going to eat this one up. No pun intended at all. Um, <laughs> that, that was good <laughs> on, on everything for the dogs, but also for themselves, because folks, you know, this is this is us just as much as doggos. So, could you give us a rundown of once again of your brand for folks to, to do the quiz. to so the herb Smith, so that they can learn about what supplementation dogs, their dog might need. And then also about your brand for the food, because I think a lot of folks are going to be very curious and I'll add in Susan Thickston for everybody too.
1: Fabulous. Fabulous. So um uh, it, I started out with um supplements because I am um, well-versed in Chinese medicine and just love Chinese herbs. And so herb Smith and it's herb Smith, INC.com is supplements for dogs, but also herbal supplements. So if your dog has allergies, we have really amazing, fabulous Chinese herbs that bring down heat and inflammation. So on the Herbsmith website, you can do a curate the bowl, which is basically like you did with Brian, where you tell me all the information about your dog and what you're concerned about and what you need to help, what you need to help with. I literally evaluate all of those every day and then give you recommendations. It might be, you know, use product ABC. It might be, you know, go to the chiropractor or, you know, there's, I'll kind of give you my perspective from a holistic veterinary perspective. So that's Herb Smith and those are supplements. And those are, those could be just to support a happy, healthy dog like Brian. It could also be. Um, for dogs that have particular issues that could go deeper into Chinese medicine. Then we also have the Simple Food Project. And the Simple Food Project is freeze-dried whole food for dogs. So it's based on a species-appropriate diet, high meat content, and and fabulous organs. But then we also have ground bone and then organic fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. And and no grains. So really low carbohydrate, species appropriate, fabulous diets that you could use as just a topper, or you could use it as treats, or it's complete and balanced. So you could use it as a whole food as well. And then that, and that's for cats and for dogs. So we have, we have both. And then we just recently launched Medicus Veterinary Diets, which is so cool. It's like, 10 years in the making, but it is whole food diets for sick pets. So a pet that has a kidney disease and they need a nutrient profile that's lower in phosphorus because now the kidney can't excrete the phosphorus. So you need a lower dietary consumption of phosphorus. So we developed whole food diets made of real food, but made them so that they're lower in phosphorus and then used like ground eggshell and chitosan that are natural whole food phosphorus binders and put that in the food. So now you can feed your pet good their whole lives. And then if they get sick for some reason, there's an option out there that sticks with the idea that whole food has this amazing synergy of, of so much more than we physically truly understand about the benefits of whole foods. So that's um, Medicus Veterinary Diets.
0: Oh, wow. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's something that we all definitely are It's are- super exciting. It's
1: kind of what I've done. You know, I practiced veterinary medicine for 35 years and, and saw things that I thought needed to, to be available to the average pet parent. And it was one way for me to um, contact more pets and be a positive um, influence in their life that, like, I'm probably never physically going to meet Brian, but but I could have a positive influence on his life. And then partnered with really good pet stores that also can do it. And fabulous people like you guys who can then educate others that, that these options are available.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I am all in on it and definitely support your mission 100%. Well thanks again Dr. Chris for coming on. I really appreciate it. I have no doubt that at some time in the future we're probably going to have another chat cuz I'll come up so- with something that I want to learn about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's fabulous. Well thank you guys so much for having me and I'm just always happy to share share what we can do to make pets
0: healthier. Thank you cuz boy I am I'm shooting for my guy to to at least beat 12. My my last one lasted at 12, so I'm shooting for at least 15 16 maybe
1: you can do it and good quality too that's
0: hugely important hugely important thank you hey health junkies are you feeling just off feeling like you're aging a little bit faster than you want to and wondering what in the world is up hey I might have some answers for you and some direction. If you want to chat with me, I am offering complimentary calls right now. You can head over to Dr. Spelled Out, J-K-R-A-U-S-E-N-D.com. Take my quiz, click on the schedule of chat, and let's talk and see if we can get you in the right direction. And if I'm able to help you, I'm going to let you know. Otherwise, I'm going to help you find what you're looking for.